Hello and welcome back to episode 5 of the Coffee Trading Academy podcast. The harvest of the infamous 22-23 Brazil crop is less than one month away, and today we have on an expert who is fresh off the plane from his crop tour there. This gentleman is a 15-year veteran coffee researcher and current head of Rabobank's Agricultural Commodities Research Division. In this episode, Carlos Mira provides a detailed update on his findings and expectations for the coffee crop in Brazil. He provides his analysis and forecast on the global logistical problems. He breaks down the economics of the Brazilian real. He recounts how he developed a team of commodity researchers. And of course, we conclude by peering into his crystal ball and seeing his price forecast for coffee. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Carlos Mira. So thank you, first of all, for, for agreeing to, to chat with me on the, on the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. I do want to go over your background. Um, you've been in, in the industry for a while now. I've seen, uh, I know even when I was sort of uh, getting new in the industry and getting started, I remember seeing you give presentations on the coffee market. So I know you, you've, been, you've been doing this for a long time. Um, can you walk us through uh, how you got into coffee, how you got into commodities um, and sort of what led you to the role you're in today? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I studied economics and uh, that was back in Argentina. And when I graduated, I, I uh, moved to the UK. There was a economic crisis in Argentina back in uh, 2005, uh, the time I graduated. And so not much has changed there uh, in, in the last few years. Uh, and yeah, I came to the UK and, you know, one of the basic skills that I had was Spanish. Uh, which is very useful for coffee. And um, yeah, and I had an economics background and I understood statistics, etc. So I stayed to work for uh, one of the large uh, trading houses in research. Um, and I got into coffee. I wasn't particularly looking to get into coffee, but suddenly th that job was matching my skills. And uh, and then I got into it, and I really like coffee and commodities in general. Mm. Uh, but when you work in research, you get to travel, you get to see crops, uh, you, you you get to uh, see different cultures. Uh, right. I got very close to countries like Brazil, Colombia, not so much Vietnam because of the cultural uh, distance, but uh, it's a really interesting job to be in. And you get to see a little bit the world uh, as well. And I worked there about seven, eight years. You mind and if I ask you I... Uh, which which uh, trade house you worked for, or do do you want to keep that? No, man, no man, group. Yeah. Okay, right on. No, it's not. It's not. It's not a secret. It's in, it's on LinkedIn. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but but I think it could be. It could have been any other trading house. You know, like uh, uh, this job exists in any of the large trading houses. Sure. Um, some will invest very heavily in research, some not so much, but, but they all, all large coffee trading houses will have a research department or at least a research group. Um, and then uh, about seven, eight years ago, I moved to Rabobank. I wasn't looking for a job, but I got a call from a recruiter, an agency. And uh, yeah, I like I like. Uh, uh, to make a change and there are many pros and cons uh, uh, but but certainly uh, working for Rabobank has been quite uh, 
uh, enlightening in on a on a few fronts. Like for example, we not only do, do, do one commodity, we we look at several commodities. But even in coffee, uh, we finance the whole supply chain. Uh, from the rural side, we finance many farmers and, and co-ops, not everywhere, but in, in a few countries. Right. Uh, we also finance trading houses, uh, and we also finance roasters and supermarkets. And I forgot to say before the farmers, we also finance the farm input companies. Mm. Uh, not, not all of them, but you know a significant proportion. And therefore, I get to talk to the whole supply chain, uh, and I, I uh, support as much as I can um, with our views and our knowledge of clients and also um, the internal uh, uh, business that, for example, the risk department might be very interesting to talk to me about coffee prices when coffee prices mm -hmm. double and suddenly everyone needs more, more finance. Right. Uh, so uh, that's what I do. Basically. Well, yeah, you mentioned um, <clears throat> farmer inputs. That's been in the news a lot lately. <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, you've had to, uh, uh, well, that's something that people must have been reaching out to you on. Um, I guess the, the the story is essentially that most, of, at least Brazil, I don't know if this is a global thing or not, but at least Brazil gets uh, the majority or a large portion of their, their fertilizer from Russia and Belarus. And then obviously with the sanctions and everything, that's becoming difficult uh, to pay for. Is that most of the world or is that just Brazil that's, um, or most of the coffee world? Um, so, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fertilizer expert. We, we do have a fertilizer analyst luckily at, at Rabobank, but uh, generally speaking, like Russian Belarus are major exporter of fertilizers, uh, mm. potash, nitrogen, etc. cetera. Um, and many countries depend more or less, but uh, e even countries that don't, directly import from these two countries right they will still see a massive price increase yeah um in, and you know this opens a, a whole world of scenarios going forward the current crops are probably good um i was traveling in brazil we're going to talk about that i'm sure but yeah. uh, uh, and if you travel around the brazilian coffee areas you don't see any sign of lower fertilization right, right. now however the next crop might be different, you know, the, 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 the fertilization of the um, 23, 24 uh, uh, um, crop might mm. see some, some issues there. And there are two things there. One is the increase in price, and the second is a potential shortage, which means right. even if you want to pay for it, you may not be able to get them. Mm. Uh, we are not there just yet, uh, but, but it's, a, it's a big concern. It's something we're looking and, out um, for, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I will be especially worried about small farmers and farmers that probably didn't have a chance to sell a big crop at a, at a very high price. Maybe small farmers affected by frost in, in Brazil or, or in areas that were not affected, but the, the farmers are so small that they may not have enough uh, money or finance to, to pay for very high fertilizer prices uh, mm. in the future. Also, um, uh, going a little bit beyond Brazil, uh, smaller countries, small developing countries, uh, they might have issues uh, when it comes to fertilization going forward. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I, I've been I've been talking about this a lot with my subscribers as well, and I was kind of on the same page. I think 
Um, you make a good point. It's not just, okay, are you directly importing fertilizer from, from these countries, but the, the entire fertilizer market, the global fertilizer market is now going to be, be feeling pressure. And to your point about small farmers, I think one, and we'll talk about Brazil in a bit, but I think I, I, I'd read that I think uh, Brazil is something like 80% smallholder farmers. We think about, we think of Brazil as like these massive giant farms, um, so that could be that could be some real pressure uh, on them going forward. But I don't want to get too sidetracked on that just now. Um, I did want to ask you if you could elaborate a bit on your current role now. So you said that you so what's your title? Are you head of research? Are you head of commodities, head of coffee research? What's the what's your role and and what exactly uh, are you doing? No, yeah. Yeah. So I'm the head of agricultural uh, commodity market research. So I look at agricultural commodity markets. Uh, coffee is always my, of my main focus because uh, of my career in, in coffee, but I also right. look uh, fairly close to sugar, to wheat, which is very interesting now. Russia is the top exporter of wheat, mm. Ukraine is top five. Um, and uh, the rest of my team also looks at other commodities like soybeans, like corn, and uh, we, we are getting a little bit into, into dairy, but Rao Bank is a big a bank in the in the food and agri industry and mm. we have many other analysts we have a team of 80 or 90 analysts looking wow. at food and agri research okay um, so me and my team we look specifically at agricultural commodity markets okay fantastic um yeah so there's a lot to kind of digest there but one thing that i i try to do in, in my research is i look at it just sort of uh, superficially, what are the softs doing as a complex? What are the ags doing as a complex? What are commodities, equities? You know, what are these, all these different sort of, I try to look uh, like you, I think I sort of focus on coffee, but then I, I kind of take a step back and kind of say, okay, what's, what's the, the broader picture here? So with your views and your connection to, to multiple commodities and, and you, your, your team of analysts, what are you seeing now in terms of macro trends um, in, in commodity markets? And uh, what do you feel like is the key relationships we should be thinking about when we're looking at, at coffee and commodities? Well, we are having a big change in global agricultural supply chains, right? Like, as I mentioned, the... Uh, Wheat is, is, is key. Wheat is a key um, human consumption staple. Right. And uh, we're seeing big changes coming from that. Um, uh, wheat prices increase uh, up to 50% uh, because of the war, and then they drop a little bit now. Uh, we have seen some Russian exports coming to Turkey and some other countries. So that has alleviated a little bit the market. But going forward, we, we are seeing the destruction of Ukrainian agriculture. Uh, and that might attract a lot of investors to the agricultural markets. Mm. We, we've seen that into energy markets recently. Um, last year in particular, we, we, we have, might see a lot of speculation coming to agricultural commodities as well. There is already mm. some. I think we, we could see much more. And um, it's hard to say whether it will affect coffee uh, or not, because coffee is a little bit separate. And actually, uh, on the price side, recently, the war in Ukraine uh, has uh, negatively affected coffee prices. 
Yeah. Uh, because there's a little bit of coffee consumption there. Russia is about 4.3 million bags. Ukraine is one point something. Um, that might drop significantly mm. uh, consumption in that area. Uh, so coffee so far has been negatively impacted, but other commodities have been surging in price. And speculators might feel very attracted to that. And as, as you know, Sanders speculators, they just buy a basket of commodities right. uh, as they want to participate on the uh, price increase. And um, coffee could be affected in the future, but very, very difficult to say exactly uh, how or when. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's one uh, uh, trend that we see in the market. And, and, the, and the other is uh, food nationalism. So many countries have started to think about uh, wheat reserves uh, or, or increasing export taxes, for example, Argentina mm. on, on the soybean uh, products. And also they, they are building a wheat stabilization fund. So on the food side, there's a lot of uh, things moving right now. Coffee, luckily, is fairly freely traded commodity globally. There are not many barriers to it. A little bit on the soluble side, but nothing too significant. Uh, soluble mm. and sometimes roasted some, uh, as well, but very, relatively little in comparison. So hopefully it will continue to flow. Um, but yeah, there's you know, a lot of uh, concerns and, and, and risks uh, uh, around coffee and other commodities as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, um, but I guess one thing we could discuss is, um, well, I was going to say sanctions. We'll talk about sanctions in a second, um, but I wanted to mention, uh, what was it you just asked? You just mentioned coffee. Oh, the I think the interesting thing about the commodity complex as a whole is, you know, you mentioned how there's a lot of bullish potential there, right? Because you might have a lot of speculators who want to sort of participate in, in that complex. But, but as you said, coffee is a bit more complex. It's almost as if coffee already had their rally, right? We had as many speculators as we could take uh, in the coffee market. So it's almost like now all of those specs have kind of left coffee and are now, now they're, they're going into the, other, um, into the other commodities. And we'll talk more about the potential for coffee prices uh, a bit later. But since you brought it up, I did want to ask about uh, sanctions. I guess with your role now at the bank, um, that's maybe maybe gives you a good view. One thing I've heard, a phrase I've heard, and you've probably heard this too, is um, you can sell coffee to Russia, you just can't deliver it or pay for it, right? <laughs> so um, what is the your view on that? Because that makes sense. But on the other hand, I've heard that, oh, coffee, can, I mean, uh, Russia can get their coffee through Turkey or through India or Vietnam, some other ways. So what, what's your view there on the, the, the effect of trade flow? Well, I think things are the, developing very quickly. Um, in principle, you know, doing business in Russia is not illegal. And um, the thing is, like exporting to, to Russia via the Black Sea is, is a very risky enterprise. It's, it's, it's a war area. Mm. Um, but via other uh, channels like St. Petersburg might, might not be that risky. So, so th there will be issues for sure and there will be issues with the payments mm. um but i think those will be sorted one way or the other they could potentially be 
is solved one way or the other. Um, and and this through for coffee and, and everything that is being moved moving mm. uh, to and from Russia. And one interesting thing is that Russia is asking that um, the countries that Russia exports uh, gas or, or, or oil, they pay, or, or some of the countries, they pay in, in rubles. Right. And to get rubles, you need to export to Russia. So uh, I guess that there will be some sort of market uh, uh, in which you, you can get pay uh, uh, in rubles and then convert them because somebody will need them to to pay for energy uh, back to Russia. Mm. But, but I think it's all um, still in um, uh, at a very uncertain stage, but some mechanism to, to uh, do international exports and imports uh, in and out of Russia will be developed. Right. Um, it's not going to be the most efficient one, but I, I think we're still going to see uh, goods moving. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I I've talked to at least um, you know a couple of trade houses about this issue, and um, uh, some of them have mentioned that they've washed out all their trades that were on the books. You know, I think a lot of trade houses are risk adverse. You know, and uh, that's all. It seems like it's a it's a big risk to to have a shipment going to going to Russia right now. It seems, but uh, but I also don't think that Russia is just going to stop drinking coffee. I feel like the coffee is no. going to flow there somehow. So it's hard to say what the actual impact on demand will be. And as well, there are like local importers in Russia, right? So, so, so in the end, if, if an international player is not willing to do that business, you may get some local player that will be able to take uh, that business um, mm. away, at, at least, you know, in collaboration. Uh, they may buy the coffee not from Brazil or Vietnam, where they don't have any sort of infrastructure, mm. but they may buy from somewhere in Europe and export it to Russia. Mm. Uh, I think coffee will be moving, uh, but as I said, it's going to be, become more expensive in Russia. It's not going to be the most efficient way, but I think it will move one way or the other. So it sounds like if there's going to be a demand impact, it's not so much going to be like, oh, it's impossible to get the coffee to Russia as it's going to be a price um, a price impact. It might get much more expensive to buy coffee in Russia and then for the consumer there, they might uh, have to have to adjust their, their consumption habits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very difficult to to tell at the moment. Um, any any sort of estimate that you make right now is going to uh, be subject to a very large margin of error. But like, like because I need to input numbers into the balance sheets, mm. uh, so at the moment I'm working with a twenty percent drop in coffee consumption in Russia. That's almost uh, uh, almost one million bags. Yeah, and uh, in Ukraine probably fifty percent because in Ukraine, <clears throat> even if they can pay for it. The, the difficulty in getting anything into Ukraine and into many cities in Ukraine is, is very, yeah. very difficult. And, and you see, um, well, you hear stories about terrible stories about people uh, trying to uh, source all sorts, sort of uh, items there. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, it's definitely tragic. Um, and uh, yeah, so even if you, Ukraine is obviously difficult. Um, we I've seen sort of stories and in, uh, in the news and whatever about um, the difficulties of even getting basic food items into into some of the cities. 
Um, but uh, I wanted to touch briefly on the logistical situation. Um, this has obviously been something that's been dynamic. It's been changing. Um, it seems like coffee's had to reevaluate how they move coffee uh, due to high prices and container shortages. We've seen the, the break bulk shipping um, increases. Um, originally, now this is, we, we, had, uh, we had mentioned this briefly at the beginning before we got started. And um, you mentioned you don't work at a trade house anymore. Um, but I spoke to a, a friend at a, from a trader and he said, uh, he said, we ask the banks what's going to happen about, uh, <laughs> about containers. So what's your view on logistics? Um, that's, it's been high for a while. Is that prices going to come down? Are we thinking that's going to be alleviated soon? What's your, how are you seeing that? Yeah, so the origin of a logistical problem in containers is that um, China was uh, closed for a while. And then um, it, it started to be working normally uh, after the initial problem with the pandemic. It, suddenly, Chinese factories were working much better than factories in the rest of the world. So when many countries in the West, we were in lockdown or we were having staff shortages because mm. of uh, COVID cases, etc. people isolating. Um, uh, there, there was a huge demand for products. And, 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 and of course, all the uh, uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus also resulted in a lot of product demand because people right. could not spend so much in services. So there was a, a huge need to, to shape products from uh, Southeast Asia and China in particular to the West. Um, and, and of course, also many bottlenecks here and there as well. And, and uh, also ports were much less efficient. Uh, um, and we saw a lot of containers sitting in places where they were not needed. And it mm. takes quite a long time for that to be sorted. And of course, on top of that, we had the problems in the Suez Canal, Suez Canal. Um, now, my view is that um, prices started to come down. I think the peak was in mid-September and they started to come down until Omicron hit. And when Omicron hit, uh, continued to stop the, the drop and even went up a little bit more. And now there's likely again uh, coming back down. Now, you, you, may, you may think I'm an optimist, but I think COVID is pretty much uh, uh, um, uh, done. I think yeah. we, we are uh, uh, quite lucky to, to have successful vaccination programs. Uh, there's much more availability of vaccines in, in uh, every, almost everywhere in the world, let mm. me say. And therefore, I will expect uh, far fewer disruptions uh, relating to COVID uh, going forward. Maybe the demand for products is not going to be so high. We see central banks tightening. We see uh, uh, inflation hitting household incomes. Uh, and of course, we are back to being able to use services. So mm. uh, product demand might might drop a little bit and that uh, could result in a slow normalization of the container situation. I don't think it's going to be immediately normal. I don't think we're going to back, go back to pre-pandemic prices, certainly not anytime soon, uh, but we may see prices slowly declining uh, in, in the rest of uh, 2022 
2023. Mm. How much? Very difficult to say. I would be happy if we see 30% uh, uh, drop in prices in 2022. That's, for uh, yeah. And, and, and what you, you mentioned about uh, bulk semen, I think that has quite a successful story. I mean, um, uh, something that was very experimental at first. We've seen uh, even a few cooperatives in Brazil doing it. Uh, certainly a couple of cooperatives doing that. Um, we see that from Vietnam, we see that from Indonesia, and I think it's going to become more and more normal. And it, it has helped alleviate the, the pressure in the in the coffee market. Yeah, and it's interesting. I um... Well, on the on the logistical situation, I think first of all, that's that's one of the most logical analyses of the logistical situation I've heard yet. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> so I feel like a lot of people don't really have a, a solid understanding about the what what the, all the root causes of it and how that's going to going to play out. Um, so I think that was a, a really um, good sort of story of what happened. You, you crafted a narrative, right? It sort of started in China. Uh, we saw how that evolved uh, over there. Um, and then uh, it sort of became uh, to a point where it was alleviating until Omicron hit. And uh, and now we've moved on to the next crisis, right? Now we're, we're dealing with World War III. So hopefully that will, <laughs> hopefully that will be resolved in a, in a positive way here. Um, so I wanted to, I have, uh, several interesting things I wanted to talk to you about, but since you just came back from Brazil and you've put out this report, you put out some numbers, um, Rabobank has notoriously, uh, been on the high end of, uh, estimates here in, 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 in the Brazilian, uh, numbers. Um, but, I, but looking at, at what you wrote, I mean, it's, it's logical. Um, it makes sense. And um, it, you're not, it's not like you're saying there was no problem, right? You, I think you, you even mentioned that Arabica was hit pretty hard. Um, but I don't want to take words out of your mouth. Can you tell us what your view was on coffee, uh, then what you saw when you uh, went down there, and sort of what your view is now? How has that evolved? Yeah, sure. Um, but let me, let me go back a little bit here and go back to the 2021 crop. <laughs> uh, sure. Because I think decisions have to be made and depending how you address previous problems that that will lead to different numbers right now the 2021 crop was a record crop without a doubt mm. we have a very high number uh, 49 millions for arabic it was one of the highest numbers out there when we uh, publish it and then we um, did a stock survey uh, in March 2020, uh, I think it was in April, based on uh, end of March numbers, and we found a lot more coffee than we were expecting in the stocks. And we were normally we ask the or client base, so farmers, exporters that work with us, uh, and cops that work with us, etc. And all those numbers came up surprisingly strong for yeah. the 2021 crop. And other people that did similar surveys, different methodology, uh, but you have analysts that will ask the different warehouses for, for how much coffee they have. And they also came with huge uh, stock numbers. So, so we have the Jesso crop number up by 4 million bags. 
And four million bucks out of 49, you know, that's uh, almost whatever, 8% or so, um, right. quite significant. So, um, and then you, you need to make a decision. Do you increase the yields that maybe they were not properly uh, assessed or maybe you had bad luck, maybe you didn't see enough farms, maybe uh, there was a problem counting cherries, when maybe the conversion ratios were better than expected, etc. But you may also think about increasing area. And I think the area in Brazil has been increasing quite a bit mm. uh, over the last few years. Uh, not last year because of the frost, um, not, not for the current crop, but, but mm. certainly in previous years uh, and the drought, et cetera. Um, but certainly I, I, I'm probably working with the area a little bit higher than maybe some other analysts. And, um, and then coming to this crop, of course, there were many issues. We had uh, a very extensive drought until October uh, last year, the lasted one year, so from okay. October to October, um, that, that impacted last year's crop, but also this year's. Mm. Uh, and also we have three frost episodes uh, last year, including the worst frost in over two decades. Yeah. Um, we, we, we can talk about the frost, but basically, if you ask me for an estimate, I'll say three to four million bags, but it's very, very difficult to, to put a number there uh, because it really depends on what the farmer does on the trees more than anything else. And and once the farmer prunes, it's very difficult to say, unless you have a register of all the farms, it's very difficult to say whether a farm was pruned because of the frost damage or because of something else. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, so we have drought and frost. However, then in October, uh, we have a very, very good flowering process and mm -hmm. the expectations were much more optimistic. So I even thought Brazil could produce between 42 and 48 million bags of Arabica mm -hmm. at that time, uh, coming from that very, very good flowering. There was a disappointment in the end. It didn't, it didn't fix very well. Right. Um, and of course, on top of that, the uh, farmer pruning was very high, and that was expected. We mm -hmm. were expecting that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the combination of those factors led us to an Arabica number of uh, just over 41 million bags, 41.4 million bags of Arabica. Um, so to be, to, to be honest, by the time I went there, I, I was sort of expecting that uh, result. Um, but yeah. Unfortunately, it's not going to be a, a, a huge crop. However, the prices are very good. Farmers that produce some coffee, they are going to, to, to receive a very good compensation for that. Mm. Um, and hopefully, that will also mean that they will have the money to, to affront any uh, um, high, uh, high fertilizer prices in the future. Mm. Um, luckily, we didn't see any big uh, pest or disease, maybe a little bit of broker maybe a little bit of rust. Rust was normal because it rained so much between December and February. Um, and that's another major observation, the vegetative growth for the next crop, it has been impressive, really. Right. It's, um, if there wasn't a fertilizer issue, uh, assuming normal weather, I will say Brazil could have a record crop next year. Mm. Too early to say we, we need to check the weather, etc. But the vegetative growth will be there. 
the trees recovered very, very well in those three months. Much, a little bit of dryness, but uh, soil moisture would have been very good coming into March. Um, so yeah, and, and the other observation was a very, very good cornelone crop. Uh, definitely a record crop uh, is going to uh, be used mainly in Brazil for the local consumption there, mm -hmm. which is much more flexible than uh, coffee demand outside of Brazil. Um, but yeah, we, we're also going to see uh, significant exports of conilon. Right. That was one thing I noticed was your, your conilon crop was, uh, was up high. Um, and um, I guess that really impacts the overall number. Sometimes people just look at the headline number of 64 million bags or whatever, 65 million bags. Uh, but for you, that's, uh, that's a little bit misleading because it's the, the conilon crop that has been doing some of the work there. Um, so, uh, I, uh, I'm going to end, we're not going to get there yet, but I'm just preparing you, uh, <laughs> with your, I like to call it my coffee market crystal ball, where you look into your crystal ball and give us, uh, your futures prices, um, there, but I did want to ask, uh, cause you mentioned domestic use. You mentioned that Brazil's, um, consumption is flexible. Um, and I know that uh, that's something, and this is a bit of a coffee nerd question here. This is going to be me geeking out with you on, on coffee. Um, but uh, for me, at least, domestic use in, in Brazil is kind of opaque. It's sort of hard for me to see unless you're sort of implying it from other areas. Um, so do you have any ideas or any thoughts on how you are adjusting that mix from Arabica to Robusta? Is it something that you kind of guess ahead of time and then you can kind of see it in the exports when it comes out and the stock checks? Or what's your what's your view on looking at domestic consumption in Brazil? Domestic consumption in Brazil is like always like a black box. And, and that's true for domestic consumption in every producing country. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a mix of some information out there. Like you may have like supermarkets scan of data uh, you may have in Brazil, of course, we have a big uh, numbers um, for previous years up to 2020, I think now. Um, but you also need to add, you know, uh, comments from local roasters. You need to add your own personal observations. Like, for example, I can tell you, coming back to Brazil after two years of a pandemic, when I wasn't traveling, uh, I can note a different taste in the uh, coffee at the hotels. Uh, ah, that's so I, I, I think the increase in Robusta has been uh, uh, quite clear, um, but it's, it's very difficult to say and everyone is, is working with some a, a fairly large margin of error. You need to come to a number uh, which right. will have a large margin of error. I think anything between 80 and uh, 83, 84% is, is possible at, at the moment. Wow, that's quite uh, high. Yeah. Yeah, you, you still have the traditional, uh, some some traditional Arabica roasters, they are not going mm -hmm. to change. But uh, uh, I, th I think in, in many of the main blends, there's a lot of flexibility in Brazil. And there has always been. And mm -hmm. um, and the price incentive yeah, is there, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big incentive right it, now, so. Absolutely. Um, and also uh, one of the, th the things that, worries me is the, the increase in prices at retail level. Uh, I, I was uh, taking taxis here and there, and, and sometimes the taxi driver asked me, what, what do you come to Brazil for? And I said, well, I work in coffee. 
and they start telling you how much the coffee price has been increasing. Wow. Uh, maybe somebody <laughs> was paying 12 reals for a packet of coffee and they tell you now it's 18, so that's a 50% increase mm. uh, in, in a period of a year or so. Um, uh, and I don't think last year there was much of a change in consumption because the culture in Brazil, uh, the coffee culture in Brazil is very strong. Right. Uh, but I, I will be a little bit less optimistic uh, going forward given uh, the big increase in interest rates in Brazil, mm. uh, given the uh, um, huge increase in retail prices uh, of coffee. Uh, so, so I wouldn't be, I'm not very uh, optimistic on, on coffee demand in Brazil. I don't think it's going to collapse, but you know we normally see it stable or growing a little bit. I'm not so sure it's going to be the case the rest of the year, but we, we really need to monitor prices. Mm. Yeah, that's one thing uh, we've been looking at uh, closely is the inflation in Brazil. Um, and you mentioned interest rates, so I think that would be a good segue to to talk about the Brazilian real for a minute. Now, I I pay a lot of attention to the real because, um, as you know better than most people, um, it's so influential on coffee prices, or at least it is until it isn't, right? <laughs> For a while, it was one one to one correlation. The real goes up, coffee prices go up, um, and we've seen some decoupling of that. As it seems that the Brazilian farmer um, is just not even looking at the real anymore; they're looking at the terminal prices. It seems almost. Um, but we. Just the last week or so, we've broken out of or are testing this five-year range, this three-year range, let's say, uh, between five and six or whatever that the, the Real has been trading in. Do you have a view on the Real and outlook there? Um, are, we, are we about to, to, to break out to new, um, new strength in, in the currency there? Or is the, the, that range going to revert? And this is kind of a false breakout here. What's your, what's your view? Well, yeah, I'm not the economist of the bank, and so you know the <clears throat> Brazil economist uh, that will be Mauricio Una uh, in Brazil. But uh, generally, the bank is expecting the Brazilian real to trade at 5.35 by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the forward curve, that's not uh, uh, too far apart uh, from the 12 months forward. Um, and there are a couple of things to look for. One, of course, is the presidential elections. We may have a strong candidate that might not be seen as very market friendly. I'm not going to go into the politics, but that's one risk there. Um, and then on the other hand, we have uh, very attractive interest rates in Brazil. Uh, the Brazil Central Bank was uh, started to rise interest rates very early, well before uh, developed countries, central banks. So that has been attracting quite a bit of inflows into Brazil, mm. um, quite a bit of international money into Brazil. Um, and also, as of late, uh, we see the terms of trade, the, the terms of trade of Brazil improving quite a lot because uh, all agricultural commodities are increasing in price. Uh, so we see coffee prices going up, sugar prices going up, soybeans, Corn, etc. Um, Brazil is a huge producer of these, so uh, we're going to see quite a bit of dollars coming from the export uh, of Brazil. Uh, 
So there are a few positive factors. There's still some risk factors on, on especially on the political side. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, I, I'll say it's, it's likely to stay volatile, but uh, there are reasons to be a little bit optimistic, especially recently with increasing in uh, terms of stray. Well, that's really uh, validating in a way, because <laughs> this is one thing we've been, like I said, we follow it closely. And, um, you know, I was very optimistic on the Brazilian real when it was <clears throat> trading 570, 580, whatever, because of all of these interest rate increases. Um, and uh, and I was wrong for a long time. <laughs> it kept getting weaker, you know, and it was getting weaker and weaker. And I was like, oh, I guess I, guess I was wrong. I guess people don't care about interest rates. Um, but then, then it did start strengthening. Now, now everyone loves the real and it's, um, you know, it's, it's going crazy and we have been forecasting. We've been saying that fair values around 540. Um, so I, I, I'm glad you said 535 there. Um, but the market clearly thinks differently right now. Um, the strength from the things you mentioned, um, the interest rates, it's still the darling of the interest rates that everyone else is barely interest, uh, raising interest rates now. Um, and, uh, and the, uh, the popularity of, of those, those agricultural commodities that you mentioned. Um, but, and so I, I had been looking for a reversal here. I've been thinking, okay, this is probably going to turn around, but, um, it, 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 that doesn't seem to be the case yet. It looks like it's been, um, it looks like it's breaking out and could keep going lower. So I, I have no idea. I'm not good at, at, at forecasting currencies. <laughs> um, but, uh, Anyway, let's. We've got about uh, ten minutes left. So before I get to the big question, I want to ask you a smaller big question here. You've spent a long time in research. You've mentioned seven or eight years at Neumann, and then seven or eight years at, at Rabobank. You have researchers working for you. Um, you put out lots of different reports. What do you think is important? Um, in hiring researchers, what are the qualities that you think are important for that makes for a good uh, coffee researcher or commodity researcher? And what do you think is important in in doing analysis and providing this research to your to your clients and to your um, colleagues? Oh, um, luckily in research, there's quite a wide spectrum of positions and capabilities. Uh, to do so, the skills that you know somebody a recruiter will be looking for depends on the specific role. So, for example, if if um, somebody was needed to uh, liaise with clients, you need somebody with very good presentation skills or communication skills. Um, but you also want somebody analytical, especially if if they don't liaising with clients is not one of the main uh, 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 um, uh, roles or, or mm. responsibilities. Then you want something more analytical, maybe. Uh, it could be that uh, you, you, the company, and I'm not going to go into the details of Robank specifically, but some companies have their own sort of research systems, analytical systems, um, and, and therefore uh, coding might be part of uh, the requirements nowadays, sure. um, and, but more generally speaking, when, when you do supply and demand, you probably want somebody with a vision as well, 
that understands and is willing to spend time uh, uh, learning and absorbing information and and mm. be able to come up uh, with a vision on on the market um uh, and and sometimes you want people that might be a little bit stubborn uh, um, that they don't change opinion every time they hear something different yeah uh, people with a little bit of a stomach that that you know can um uh, sometimes withstand criticism or, or be able to disagree with, with uh, some information coming to you that might not necessarily be uh, um, in agreement with, with your views, but, mm. but also you want somebody flexible that will change opinion if uh, um, this enough evidence to, to do so. Uh, but, but it really depends on the role, presentation skills, quantitative right. skills. And of course, uh, if it's going to be about coffee, certainly uh, some language skills will be useful, uh, Spanish or Portuguese. Uh, Vietnamese will be top marks, but uh, the market for <laughs> Vietnamese speakers, uh, is, is, yeah, is not, not many people speak Vietnamese. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, a lot of people in Vietnam speak it actually, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So thank you for that. That I mean, that was interesting. Um, I I like what you said about being stubborn. That was what particularly <laughs> what spoke to me, um, because uh, I am someone who is very flexible by nature, and it's something I have to kind of try to remind myself is like. You, you, my clients don't want me to change my view every every week every, to change my view with the wind. I have to come up with something that is concrete enough that people can rely on it, right? Um, and for me, the way that I do that is by I try to focus very heavily on specific data points that I can say, okay, when these change, I will change my view. You know, you you like you said, you need to be flexible enough to say, okay, maybe maybe the scenario has changed and, and those aren't relevant anymore. Um, but I think that that's, that's really important that what you, what you hit on there. Um, all right. So we have a couple of minutes left. Uh, I did want to close with, with you dusting off your crystal ball here and uh, looking into the future. And uh, what's your, what's your price predictions for coffee? What do you see as happening and how do you see that playing out? Well, I, I tend to believe, even though you know, undeniable, undeniably, uh, there's a shortage in the market, and I tend to think it's fully priced. Um, however, we do see the logistical situation getting a little bit better, mm. uh, being because not not so much because container prices have come off, but because uh, we see more shipments in bulk, uh, and that alleviates a little bit the bottlenecks and alleviates the panic to to source coffee uh, that was there in the market certainly in q4 uh, last year um therefore i'm a little bit bearish uh, from the current points mm. uh, admittedly there's a very strong bullish story about the drop in certified stocks sure. we saw a partial reversal in the last uh, few days but that's i think it's just temporary i think we're going to still see uh, a drop in the certified stocks, uh, certainly for the, the next months, probably mm. e even the next year. Um, we're not going to see coffee from Brazil going to be certified. I think we're going to see zero coffee from Brazil or very, very little, if anything, yeah. um, being certified in the Arabic stocks. Um, but yeah, the logistical situation has been tying up 
millions of coffee bags uh, that could not be used uh, uh, in the market. And I think we are seeing a relief from that. Certainly, one of the impressions from Brazil is that in Brazil, the, the logistical bottleneck is not so much of an issue anymore. It still exists, but instead of 3.5, 4 million bags, it's probably just a couple of million bags or, or less. And exports have been relatively good in the last few months uh, since December. So therefore, I'm a little bit bearish uh, on coffee. Uh, I think it's still going to be elevated, but the focus is for uh, coffee to reach $2 in, um, in Q3 mm -hmm. and potentially a little bit lower in Q1 uh, 23. And that's also with the expectation of normal weather in Brazil and the uh, huge vegetative growth that I mentioned earlier uh, that will potentially result in a very good crop in 23, 24. I think that will start to make pressure on the, on, on the market, downward pressure on the market. Probably not a lot, but I, th I think there will be some, or there is likely to be some. Right. Certainly that potential, right? I mean, that's one thing about the coffee market. It's always forward looking. It's not about what's happening now. It's about what's going to happen. And I think you're you're spot on with that uh, that view on Brazil. Now the market is looking for that 23, 24 crop. Um, well, Carlos, this was really uh, this was really exciting and um, enlightening for me. I, I think I learned a lot um, from our conversation here. So I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and, and and spending an hour with me and chatting with me about the market. It has been a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Take care, Carlos. I, I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you for joining our Coffee Trading Academy podcast. Check out the website and subscribe to receive our free and premium coffee market reports. That's www.coffeetradingacademy.com. Again, coffeetradingacademy.com. Good luck with your trading, everyone. This is Ryan Delaney, your Coffee Price Risk Ninja here, signing off.